Amen, amen. All right, well, it's so good to be here today, to, give, to have the honor to give you today's word. We're going to go to John chapter 11, verse 1. But before we read, would you mind if I just open up in prayer first this time? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word that we're about to receive. And as we open up your word, Father, I pray for understanding. I pray for wisdom in all of us, Lord. We come here today, Lord, to worship and to receive your word. And Father, I pray that you would use me to speak your word today. That, Lord, we would leave today's church service knowing that you have touched our hearts and you have spoken to us. Bless this word in Jesus' name. John chapter 11, verse 1. The Word of God says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sister, Mary and Martha. This is the same Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours in daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they, notice this, they have the light of the world. But at night, there's a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's asleep, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. Notice Jesus said, he's dead, but I'm glad. It's a little insensitive. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, and let's die with Jesus. You guys can have a seat. Let's go too, so we can die with Jesus. I want to highlight verse 7 through 8 in this passage of Scripture, verse 7 through 8. The Bible says, finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And verse 8 really grabbed my heart. The disciples objected. Come on, say that with me. The disciples objected. And the title of today's message is just that. I object. Come on, say that with me. I object. And say it to your neighbor as well. Hit them across, wake them up and say, hey, I object. Because it's interesting. The disciples well, they get the news with Jesus that Lazarus is sick and on the verge of dying. This was so unexpected. It was heartbreaking. But see, Mary and Martha, they sent a messenger to Jesus because they believed that even though Lazarus was sick, that Jesus would be able to heal him. So in faith, they sent a messenger to Jesus. Hey, could you come now and change this and fix this and heal him? Because, Lord, if you don't act now, he's going to die. 
And Jesus had the choice to go right now, that very moment, and save the day. But the Bible said that Jesus held back. He stayed and allowed him to die. And the Bible makes a clear point. Even though he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed back and allowed him to die. Why is it so important? We know this. Because sometimes life gets difficult, it gets hard, it gets complicated, it is painful, but God allows it. And when God allows it, notice the Bible makes it clear, He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Because your problems in your life do not mean God no longer loves you. In fact, it is the opposite. Because He loves you, He often allows painful things to take place for His glory. Don't let the devil lie to you. That because you're going through what you're going through, because life is so much harder for you than it is for everyone else, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned. God must be mad at you. God must be disappointed with you. I don't think God could even love you because if God loved you, He would not allow this suffering in your life. That is so far from the truth. And the devil is a liar. God's love can never be taken away from you. In fact, the Bible says that this happens to the glory of God. Now pay attention. This happens to the glory of God. Not sin. Not punishment. To the glory of God. And the glory of God is something we often spew out of our mouth, but we really don't understand what it means. But see, when God says, I'm going to get glory from this, it means that what God has allowed in your life has taken place for a spiritual purpose. A spiritual purpose. And when I saw that Lazarus had finally died, and things have gotten worse, I'm sure that everyone around them was stressed, upset, angry with Jesus. They were sad, discouraged, depressed, you name it. But the Bible says something interesting in verse 14 and 15. The Bible says that He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Jesus was glad even though Lazarus had died. Jesus was glad even though Lazarus, his friend, was dead. And when I read that, it opened up my eyes to realize that even though life can get complicated and difficult and painful and we go through things and we lose some things and we suffer some things, even though we go through such pain, I, like Jesus, can make the choice not to allow the circumstances of my life to rob me of gladness. How many of you would agree that today we don't see a lot of glad people anymore? In fact, look around you. Some of you don't look so glad right now. You come to church with this face and I know it. Oh, i got to preach to that person. Because we allow life to rob us of our gladness. Have you ever met a person that struggles to be glad? They walk around with this face that frightens you. They're such a downer. Any downers in the room? You know what a downer is? That How are you? Oh, don't even bother asking me. And the minute they walk into a room, they look around and they're only looking to see what's wrong. 
And when you meet someone, you're looking at their flaws. Oh, I don't like that. Look at her shoes. I don't know about those shoes. Those shoes means that she, those are expensive. Means that she mismanages money and I can't, she can't be trusted. Have you ever met a downer that when everyone else is happy and glad because it's, it's life, they walk into the room and suck everything out. They're just walking zombies. The world is not short of people that are not glad. So many people have lost their gladness. And even people in the church. Oh, you think Christians are always happy? Some of the most miserable people I know are in the church. It's true. I've pastored them. Some of the biggest complainers and negative fault finders will be with us in heaven one day. How shocking. And I wondered this morning as I read this, that if Jesus could get bad news like He did, suffer like He did, but stay glad, can't we? Do, do we have to allow life to rob us of joy? Why is it that so many people lose their gladness? Psalm 118.24 says this. Maybe you've heard it, sang it, taught on it. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be what? Glad in it. Now hold that verse because this is David saying something interesting. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now how many of you are in it right now? You're in it pretty deep. You're like, I'm in it right now. But David makes a choice. He predecides that no matter what the day looks like, no matter what the day will bring about, he declared that this is the day that the Lord God is still Lord and in control. And because God is God and He is the Lord of my life, I know that I can still rejoice and be glad because the Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. Now, I don't know what kind of day you've had this week. I don't know what kind of day you've had today. I don't know what day is going to happen tomorrow but I can promise you this, whatever your day looks like, it is a day that God is still God. He is still Lord. He is still in control. He still has a plan. He still loves you. And he's still working something good for your glory and for his glory as well. This is the day the Lord has made. In fact, so many people say, well, I just can't be glad. You don't know, it's easy for you to say, but you don't know where I work. You don't know who I'm married to. You don't know what I come home to. You don't know who I'm raising. You don't know the bank account I have. You don't know the sickness I have. You don't know what I go through, the traffic I have to fight, the people I have to fight. The people are fighting the traffic I fight. I fight every day. It's constant battle. Everyone's against me. Life is hard. I can't sleep. I can't eat. I eat too much because I don't sleep. I'm tired. I'm stressed. I worn out. And yes, you don't know. How impossible it is for me to be glad. But how did Jesus know to be glad even when Lazarus was dead? I want to prove to you this morning that you're lying to yourself. Whenever you say, I can't be happy. I can't be glad. I can't have joy because I'm going through this, because this is painful, because I've been hurt, lied to, betrayed, abandoned, abused. I just can't be glad. I want to prove to you that you are lying to yourself and believing the lie of the enemy. Can I prove that to you this morning? Has anyone ever had a breakfast burrito? All right. Amen? Breakfast burritos, anyone? I had one this morning. 
I was in a rush to get to church, went through the drive-thru and had a breakfast burrito. And then I realized something. How many of you have to have ketchup on your burrito? Ketchup, come on. Ketchup, breakfast, ketchup, people, eggs, anything? All right, Cheeto, you're my man. All right, all right, you got it. Cooney, too. People that don't have ketchup on their breakfast, I don't trust them. There's something wrong with you. Mustard. Look at this guy. Mustard. Wow. But I realized something. I got the ketchup packet while driving. Don't recommend that. And I put the ketchup on the burrito. And then I realized something. This is what it looks like to be black. Let me, let me prove my point. I got the ketchup packet. And I knew that what I wanted to bring out was the ketchup on this burrito. But three things happened. In order for me to enjoy my breakfast burrito, three things had to happen with this ketchup package. Number one, I had to tear it. Number two, I had to put it upside down. And number three, guess what number three is? I had to squeeze it. And the reason I was able to enjoy my ketchup on my breakfast burrito is because I went through the three most vital stages of ketchup. Tear, turn, squeeze. Say that with me. Tear, turn, squeeze. Now let's apply this to your life. Have you ever gone through something that's just torn you apart? Has your heart ever been torn by a liar? Someone that used you. Someone that manipulated you. Someone you trusted. A lover, a friend, a co-worker, a family member, a church member. But someone did something to you that just tore you apart. Say amen. Does it ever feel like life has just put you upside down? Am I preaching to anyone today? You say, I just, I, when I sit down with people to have counseling, it's weird, but they always seem to tell me, I just feel like my whole world has been turned upside down. Have you ever been squeezed? Under the pressure? Every day, mustard guy, every day? Have you ever been squeezed? The pressure. Psalm 118, 24 says this. This is the day the Lord has what? Made. That word made is a Hebrew word, asa. Bear with me, asa. The word asa in the Hebrew literally means to squeeze, to make something. How is it you can be glad in a moment where life has torn you apart? When it feels like life is upside down and you're just being squeezed under so much pressure. You have pressure to help people, pay bills, go to work. Pressure is on you to make everyone happy. See, the Bible says this is the day the Lord has squeezed you. And you can rejoice because you know that the squeezing, like this ketchup, is actually bringing something good out. Good is coming out. Say that with me. Good is coming out. But in order for good to come out, God says, I have to let life tear you up sometimes. Sometimes it's going to feel like things are upside down. And yes, you may be under the squeeze of life. You might be under the pressures of life. But you can rejoice knowing that it is God allowing the squeezing. And when God allows the squeezing, it, it literally means that He is up to something good for His glory. That is why we as believers, 
We as believers can rejoice no matter what the day brings because we know that whatever the day may bring, the Lord is still squeezing. He is making something for my good and His glory. Something good is coming out of this. The devil lies to you and said that God has abandoned you. God has betrayed you. God has turned on you. Because if not, why has he allowed you to be torn up? And why is everything upside down? And why under you? Why are you under so much pressure if God is good? The reason you're under so much pressure is because God is good. And he's doing something good for his glory. Catch up, everyone. This morning... So if you feel the squeeze of life, remember, I can be glad like Jesus because Jesus understood something the other people didn't. He said, this is for God's glory. Something spiritual is coming out of this. Something great is coming out of this. So when life feels like it tears you apart, You don't have to get bitter. You ever met met a bitter person because life has torn them apart? And when life is upside down, you say, oh, things don't make sense. Things don't have to make sense for you. You just have to know that when life tears you up, puts you upside down, or even the pressure is on, there is a God that is holding you the entire time. And it's for a greater good. The disciples couldn't understand it. But God was up to something glorious. Imagine what the disciples must have felt. Because they get the bad news that Lazarus was sick and even dead. And Jesus tells them, Listen, guys, don't worry. This sickness is not going to end in death. And I'm sure for that moment, the disciples felt excited. They felt peaceful. Okay, good. Everything's going to turn out. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, Lazarus is dead. You just said he wouldn't die. Oh, but he, he's not. But he is. But he's not. You get it? No. Okay. He's dead now, but he's not going to be dead when I get there. But you just said he's not going to die. Yeah, I know. He's not going to die, but he's dead. But when I get there, my word never fails. And even if I have to, I'm going to bring him back from the dead. Because some of you need to hear this today. You think you know the outcome of your life. If you ever told yourself, oh, it's over, it's hopeless, it's never going to change, you are not God to determine that. Your responsibility is just to trust Him and obey. So in verse 7 and 8, Jesus says something interesting. He says to His disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. And they said, wait, wait a minute. It was only a few days ago the people of Judea were trying to stone you and we barely got out of that. We barely made it. We survived somehow. And now you want to go back there? See, the disciples didn't understand that Jesus was about to do something amazing by raising Lazarus from the dead but he had to go through Judea. But the disciples disagreed with the fact that they had to go to Judea because in Judea, they try to kill them. They try to stone them. And Jesus is now saying, let's go back. But I want you to notice something. The Bible says the disciples objected. And here's the takeaway. Like the disciples, you might love the Lord. You might serve Him. 
you might trust in Him. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we object with the way God is doing things in our life. Oh, I never object. I always have faith. Don't lie. See, to object means to express disapproval or disagreement with something. Think about that. When God allows you to get torn apart by someone, do you not want to object? Do you not want to say, Lord, I disapprove of how you let that person use me? Lord, I object to the way you allowed that person to lie to me. Lord, I object. Why did you bring that person into my life? Lord, I object. Why did you let me be vulnerable and trust them? Lord, why didn't you stop them from tearing me apart? We object. Do we not? And when life gets upside down, you definitely object. Lord, I object. I don't understand. This makes no sense. This is wrong. If I were you, I would have done it this way by this time by now. Lord, I object. And when God squeezes you, you're saying, Lord, I object to the way you are allowing this pressure in my life. I can't handle this anymore. Lord, sometimes I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. I feel hopeless. I can't take the burden of this squeezing anymore. See, if we're honest like the disciples were with Jesus, sometimes we object to the way God is doing things in our lives. And I don't want to be that church that lies and fakes everything. I want to be real. I want real people in this church. Have you ever objected to what God was doing in your life? We don't always agree. But see, sometimes the greatest miracles God has for your life and His greatest purpose for you happen in situations you would object to. Let me give you some examples. Moses, you're going to be a leader. You're going to lead millions of Israelites to the promised land. You're going to be used by me. You're going to split the sea. You're going to be an amazing leader of God. Moses, you're going to be used to bring the people out of bondage. But Moses, you're going to have to lose the palace, live in the desert for 40 years, and life is going to get a whole lot more difficult. I don't know about you, but if you take away my palace, I'm going to object. If you have to put me through a desert for 40 years, I'm going to object. But all of that was working for God to bring something out. Do you not think it tore Moses apart when he had to leave his comfortable life in the palace? Do you not think his life was turned upside down when he was in the desert and this is a man that has been pampered his whole life? He's not an outdoors man. He doesn't know the first thing about sleeping outside. And he would have been like, I object, I need my pampering done. Everything was upside down. But God was squeezing purpose into his life. What about Joseph? Joseph, I have a dream, and my dream for you and my plan and purpose is for you to feed the entire world. But Joseph, in order for you to accomplish this dream, I'm going to have to allow your brothers to tear you apart and sell you into slavery. And then your whole world's going to turn upside down, Joseph, because you're going to be in a foreign land where you don't know the language, you don't know anybody, everything's unfamiliar, so everything's going to feel like it's been turned upside down. You're going to spend 12 years in prison, it's going to be unfair, you don't deserve it, but while you're feeling the squeeze, I'm doing something good. But Joseph could have objected and said, God, this is not right. But see, sometimes the greatest plans of God come through moments that we would 
rightfully object to. David, you're going to be a king. But you're going to have to fight Goliath first. David could have said, I object. He's way bigger than me, God. But he had to do it. Ruth was going to be blessed by God. God was going to give her the husband of all husbands. Use her in an amazing way. But he told Ruth, Ruth, in order for me to be, to fulfill my purpose in your life, I'm going to have to allow your first husband to die. And some of you ladies are like, Amen. (laughs) I receive that, Lord. Do what you can. No, don't do that. But her husband had to die. She had to become a widow. Then she moved completely away from Moab, the country she grew up in, to be in a land she wasn't familiar with. That's not only the tearing apart, but it's the turning of the upside down. And then she had to work in the field. All day long in the field. To survive. She felt the squeeze. But she didn't know that the tearing and the turning and the squeezing was bringing out something glorious. Even Jesus, the day he was going on that cross, Peter objected and said, you will not go on that cross. You will not die. You're going to stay with us forever. He disagreed with Jesus surrendering his life on that cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because it is Satan's objective to get you to object. To get you to think your ways is better. You know what's right. In order to stop the work of God from happening in your life. If you want to be glad and see the glory of God in your life, you have to learn that sometimes God's going to tear you apart, put you upside down and squeeze you in ways you don't agree with. Is it okay to object to God? Does it mean you have no faith? Does it mean that somehow you've lost all perspective of the right thing to do if you object to God? Absolutely not. Church, the disciples objected. But let me ask you this. Did Jesus get mad? Did Jesus say, how dare you object me? No. He didn't. Look at verse 16. Something can happen, though, while you're objecting to the way God is doing things in your life. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, that was my nickname too, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Thomas, not only the doubter, but the downer. You know what Thomas said here? Let's go so we can die. We're not going to make it. It's over. Oh, let's go. Let's all get stoned dead together. And Thomas became a downer. And not only was Thomas down on himself, notice he said this to everyone because he wanted everyone else to be down with him because downers love to down with other people. They get down with others. And they say, oh, I have to make sure that everyone knows how terrible this is. I can't be down quietly. I can't be down in silence. I refuse to be down in private. I'm going to make sure that everyone knows how down I am. And Thomas said, we're going to die. We're going to die. And maybe like the disciples, we love and we put our faith in God and we serve Jesus. 
But not only do we object to the way God does things, but I believe there's a lot of people that are not only not glad, like Jesus, but they're more like downers, like Thomas. And maybe lately, you've just been seeing life in a negative way. You've just been down on yourself, down on your future, down on your family, down on your marriage, down on everything, and everything around you is just down. You don't wake up with a happy attitude and this is a new day. No, you wake up and say, oh, this is a new day just like yesterday. It's all going to be the same. Never changes. Life is terrible. And you're stuck in traffic and rather than saying, hey, at least I can sit down and listen to a podcast or listen to Pastor David's sermon again or worship, I'm just going to get down on everyone's driving. And I'm going to show up to work down. I'm going to leave work down. I'm going to drive work down. I'm going to come home down. I'm going to make sure I get everyone else down. Have you ever met a person that was just so down that their life goal was to get every happy person down with them. That's Thomas. Don't be a downer. And Thomas says, let's go die. But Jesus doesn't get angry with his objection. Because I want to tell you right now, if you object to the way God is doing things in your life, God is not mad at you. If you're honest with God and say, Lord, I don't understand or agree with this, the way that you're tearing me apart, the way everything's just upside down, making no sense, and the way you're just allowing the pressures of life to squeeze me, Lord, I do not agree. God will not be angry with you. Because when the disciples got angry with Jesus, when they got, they objected with him, Jesus didn't get mad. I believe we would be hypocrites and liars if we say that we always agree with the way God does things. If you say, oh, I always trust in God, I always believe that what God is doing is right, don't lie to yourself. In fact, like Thomas, some of you right now are assuming the worst of your life. You're assuming the worst of your future. Like Thomas, you're saying, we're not going to make it. We're not, this is going to not end well. We're going to die. Some of you, like Thomas, are living with a state of fear and discouragement. And even though Jesus wanted to get over there to do something amazing, Rather than seeing the amazing things God wants to do in your life, like Thomas, you're just objecting, and that objection has led you to be down all the time. But here's a message I have for you this morning. You and I, and like this church, we should thrive to be like Thomas. And you're probably saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor, wait a minute. You just finished saying that Thomas was a downer, that Thomas was negative, that Thomas was objecting to God, and now you're telling us that we should be like Thomas. That is exactly what I'm saying. In fact, if you would ask me, who do you think is the strongest of all disciples I will tell you right now, it is not Peter, it is not James, it is not John. I believe Thomas was one of the strongest disciples of the bunch. And you're probably saying, how is that? Because everyone has painted Thomas to be the negative downer. Oh, doubting Thomas, we shouldn't doubt. Listen, you know why Thomas... Is one of the strongest disciples that we should thrive to be like? Look at verse 16. Don't miss this. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go. Let's go too. And what? And die. But he didn't just finish the sentence there. He said, let's go to and die with 
Jesus. And when I read that, I felt like I owed Thomas an apology. Because I said, Thomas, all this time, Tommy, I'm so sorry. Tommy, all this time, Tommy, I heard that you were the bad guy. That you were the weak one. That you were disciples that always questioned Jesus. You were the disciples that always doubted. You were the disciples that was always afraid. Tommy, I'm sorry. And I actually prayed, Lord, help me to have the spirit of Thomas in me. You know why, church? Because even though Thomas objected to what Jesus was doing, even though Thomas disagreed with the way Jesus was doing things, and even though Thomas did not like what Jesus had planned, he said, guys, let's go. Let's die. But let's die with Jesus. So he said, even though, Lord, I object to how you're doing things, and even though I object to the way you're doing things, and even though I disagree with you, Jesus, even though I don't like what you're doing, Jesus, I will serve you, I will follow you, I will stay with you till I die. And I realize I want to be like Thomas because even though I might object to the way God does things in my life, I pray that I die knowing I served Jesus. Because there's a lot of people that can't say that today. There's a lot of people that quit halfway with Jesus. They get off to a good start and then they wander back to the world. But Thomas said, even though I object... And even though I disagree with what you're doing, Jesus, I will follow you till I die. I believe that's a prayer all of us should pray. Lord, no matter what happens in my life, no matter how much you tear me, no matter how upside down things get, and no matter how much you squeeze and the pressure, no matter what pressure I'm under, I may object to you, God. I may not like what you're doing. But I will follow you to the death. I whether die serving you then live away from you. That's what Thomas said to Jesus. I will die following you instead of being safe, alive, away from you. And Thomas continued to follow Jesus through the objection. And this is what we need to learn as a church. It's okay to object and disagree and doubt because you're human. But don't ever let your disagreements, your doubts, and your objections of what God is doing cause you to quit and stop walking with the Lord. That's the truth. We got to stop telling Christians, oh, you can never doubt, you can never, no, just keep trusting. Yes, trust in Jesus. But trusting in Jesus means even though I doubt, even though I'm afraid, even though I'm discouraged, even though I don't agree, I'm going to keep walking with you. So Thomas is walking with Jesus. Yes. Is he doubting? Yes. Is he negative? Yes. Is he discouraged? Yes. The whole time on the trip, I imagine him. We're going to die. Any minute, any minute now. Look around, guys. This is dangerous. Why are we doing this? This is crazy. But the whole time, he's walking with Jesus. That's why I love our church. Because for 13, almost 13 years, we've been doing this church, and we're like, this is crazy. That what are we doing? What are we thinking? Are we insane? Why are we doing this? And the whole, we're not going to make it. We're not going to survive. We're going to be a statistic. We're going to be those churches that close down. And I look 13 years later and say, oh my gosh, we're still alive. Wait, we're still here. 
And you tell me, you say, Pastor, in all the years of being a pastor, were you never afraid? I will tell you, sister, I was afraid every Sunday. Every Sunday I walk on this stage afraid. Do I doubt? Probably more than you. Do I get discouraged? Oh, you, don't, you should see the conversations I have with myself. But I know I will die saying I serve Jesus. That's the truth. Let's close with this, church. Thomas said, I object. And maybe you're here, you're saying, Pastor, I feel like I, I just disagree with what God is doing in my life, and it's so much harder, and He's tearing me apart, and everything is upside down, and He's squeezing me. And I will tell you this that is great news. Because it means that God is bringing something glorious. But in the meantime, keep walking with Jesus. Keep trusting Him. Keep obeying Him. What if, it, what if I die? Then you die knowing you serve Jesus. Thomas said, let us die with Him. And I don't know why this isn't preached. Because we love sermons that encourage you to say never have doubts, never fear, never worry, always trust God. And I get that. But if we're human, which we are, we say we're going to have doubts. We're going to get down on ourselves. We're going to get down about our lives. We're going to fall into discouragement. But my honest to God prayer is that even though you object, Make a choice to walk and obey Jesus. Because not everyone can say, I will die knowing I serve Jesus. And if you're going through one of those days that you're being torn apart and squeezed, just remember that this is the day that the Lord has made. And you can be glad and still rejoice in it. Because no matter how difficult life gets, how torn apart you feel, how upside down things might feel, or the pressure that you're under, you can rejoice knowing in who God is. God is a God who will never abandon you. Who will always fulfill His purpose for you. And he, was, he is a God that says, I work all things for good for those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. Verse 17 says this. You guys doing good this morning? When Jesus arrived at Bethany, let's just pause right there. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, that already tells me, Tommy, what you feared never happened. And someone needs to hear that. The worst case scenario never happened. They made it to Bethany. Why? Because Jesus said they would. Whatever God has declared over your life will happen. And no devil in hell can stop it. And I love this verse because it tells me that sometimes I can assume the worst and never see it happen. And what if that fear that he had kept him from following Jesus? he would have never seen the resurrection of Lazarus. So my point is this, church. Don't let fear stop you. But keep walking with Jesus even in fear. Because the Bible says that perfect love casts away fear. And Jesus in his perfect love is going to fulfill what he started in your life. And you might be down and negative and tired like Thomas. You might be assuming the worst right now. But in Jesus' name, the worst you're picturing right now, not only will it not happen, but God is going to do the opposite. Something you never saw coming. And when they got there, the Bible says in verse 43 and 44, that Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus, 
come out. The dead man came out. His hand and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wraps in a head and head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Can you imagine seeing this man come out of the grave? But can you also imagine almost missing this miracle for allowing your objections to stop you from walking with Jesus? But Thomas was able to see this amazing miracle take place. Because even though he doubted, and even though he was down, and even though he objected, he was willing to continue to walk with Jesus. I want to pray to you. Let's all stand to our feet today. I feel today there's a lot of you being torn apart. Your life is upside down. And life is just squeezing you. Maybe the devil has put this lie in you. You're a Christian. How could you be afraid? You're a terrible Christian. Look at you, down and discouraged. Where's your faith in God? Look at you, worried. But you know why? I want to honor you this morning because you're in this church still serving God. And even though you object to the way God does things sometimes in your life, and even though you've been torn apart upside down and squeezed the life out of you, has been squeezed out of you, you're still walking with Jesus. And that is more than 75% of professing Christians in America can say. You are rare, but you are a rare few that continue to walk with Jesus through the objections. Many people quit because life got too hard. Many people quit because life got unfair. Many people quit and walk out on Jesus because God didn't do the way the things they thought he'd do. But like Thomas, a real man or woman of God, says no matter how I object, no matter what happens, no matter what I go through, even if I die, I know that till the end, I'm going to die walking with Jesus. Is that your vow this morning, church? Then pray this with me. Say, Lord, on this Labor Day weekend, help me to be glad, knowing it is a day that you have made. So tear me up, turn me around, and squeeze the life out of me. And I promise you, Lord, I may not agree with you, I may not like what you're doing, but I'll walk with you till the day I die. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise. Amen.